Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. It happened again. You knew you shouldn't have done it, but you did. You screwed up. You're looking your imperfection right in the face, and there's nothing that you can do to change it. You don't really want to talk to anyone. You definitely don't want to talk to God. And then that question sneaks into your mind. How can God use someone like me? Has this ever been you? You know, whether it was one too many drinks, a quick puff off a joint, you went to that website you weren't supposed to go to. I think we've all been in a situation where we did something we knew we weren't supposed to do. We stopped following God. We knew that we weren't walking with him. For the past three weeks, we've been walking through Jonah together. And we've learned a lot about a person who has not been really great at following what God wanted for him. Um, So as we jump into it tonight, um, we're definitely going to learn a little bit about someone who is struggling with obedience. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, we're going to start right here in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So this isn't the first time that Jonah has, was asked pretty much this exact same question. And do we all remember what happened the first time he was asked this question? Yeah, he ran away. He fled. He went probably about as far away as you can go, down to Joppa, boarded a ship, went to Tarshish, got thrown overboard into a whale, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So I think it's really easy to look at Jonah and say, you know, he knew exactly what God asked for him, and he didn't do it. And it's really easy for us sitting here reading this story to condemn him, but I think we do the same thing sometimes. You know, God didn't call me to preach to an entire city of people and to try and, um, you know, save them, but he did call me, he does call me every day to little actions throughout my day, and I believe that he does that of all of us. Um, Have you ever, you know, gone over to visit your parents and, you know, they make you dinner and you go to sit down on the couch and then you realize, oh, someone has to do the dishes, and then God pricks your heart a little bit. And it's just, a, it's just a minor thing, but he pricks your heart and says, hey, you should go be a servant right now. And you're like, ah, but I just sat down. Like, yeah, not tonight. Not tonight, God. Like, I, I don't think so. Or maybe you're in this room and you see someone come in that you haven't recognized before. And, you know, you're laughing it up with your friends, but God pricks your heart and says, hey, maybe I should go be a friend to them. And you're like, ah, but I really want to catch up with all these people. I'm having such a good time already. You know, not tonight, God. I I think someone else will go and talk to them. 
I think we say that a lot. We say, you know, not right now, God, but I, I do want to do what you're telling me to do, and I'm, I'm feeling what you're telling me to do, but, but not right now, not today. Um, and like I said, it's easy to condemn Jonah for doing this exact same thing. He, he hears very clearly from God what he is supposed to do, and he walks the other way. So, when we left off last week, Jonah is finally facing the fact that walking away from God is going to lead you into storms and, and all of these things, and he is in the midst of a prayer, and we finally see Jonah in a place where maybe his heart isn't changed. We can, we can debate that all you want, um, but at this point, he is at least willing to go and do what God told him to do. I believe what he's saying at the end of that prayer is, I, you know, I don't like the Ninevites, but at this point, I don't care. God, I will just, I'm going to do what you told me to do just because you told me to do it. And, you know, uh, how, like, how does God respond to that kind of prayer? Because um, Jonah walked away for a while. Like, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like he just said no and then, like, kind of changed his mind. Like, he left, got on a ship, and then had to get far enough out to sea, and then spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, and then decided to come back. If we were to ask someone to do something, and like it took them four days to respond, like we probably just think they're not going to do it. Like if you don't believe me, ask someone to coffee, and if they don't respond to you for four days, I'd, I'd love to hear like what you think is going to happen. <laughs> like you pretty much just got left on red. And Jonah is leaving God on red here, and he's, he's posting selfies from the ship that he's on. He's like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not, this is not what I want to do. And eventually, he gets pulled back into this prayer, and he wants to do what God told him to do, and maybe not even for the right reasons. But what does God do? He gives him a second chance. God wants to use Jonah, and he knows that he's imperfect. He looks at him and says, you know what, yeah, I know, I know that this guy is imperfect and, and he, like, he's running away from me, but I chose him. He says, yeah, I know that he disrespected me, but he's mine. He's looking at him and he's saying, you know, I know this guy screwed up, but you know, it wasn't his power that was going to enable him to do what I asked him to do anyways. Do you know that God chose you he chose you to be in this room right now, and he chose you to do something. I don't know what that is, but I'm willing to bet you might have an idea. So I don't know if you're on your ship to Tarshish right now or where you're at, but if you are, I want you to know that God right now is giving you a second chance. Whatever that is that you're called to, you have a second chance or a third chance, or maybe a fourth chance tonight. And Jonah, when he's given his second chance, takes his. So let's take a look in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So we've talked a lot over the past few weeks about Nineveh. Uh, we've gotten a little bit from Jeremiah, a little bit from Christian, and we, we know a little bit about the Ninevites, but this is the first time that the author of the book of Jonah actually tells us anything about Nineveh. 
Nineveh is just this place that we know that Jonah is supposed to go to. Um, and I think it's interesting the, the details that are included here, like that it would take you about three days to walk from one side of the other. That's what it means when it says three days in breadth. Um, by most modern estimations, that's about 120 miles. So he's probably talking about like the, Nineveh, like the greater Nineveh area. Um, and just to put that into perspective, 120 miles is the distance from where, where we are right now to Columbus. I think that's an interesting thing to bring up because that's a lot of ground to cover for one person. Like, just for example, I, I'm on the core team for a church, a church plant that you may have heard of called 539, and there's about 130 of us on this core team. I know, shameless plug. Um, there's about 130 of us on this core team, and we're only trying to reach East Akron. Not even like all of Akron, like Eastern Akron. And that's 130 people. We have Jonah, who doesn't even have a ministry partner, doesn't even have a ministry team, he doesn't have anything, and he's getting sent out to reach from Akron to Columbus, that kind of area of people. And that, when I read that, it makes me think, like, does God even really want these Ninevites to be saved? Like, he's going to send one person in there, and, like, he's just going to be screaming, and he's walking on foot, and, like, how is he going to reach any, like, I feel like I don't even see my neighbors most of the time. Like, I don't know how you're going to talk to everyone, like, over a 120-mile span. I don't think that God doesn't want the Ninevites to, to hear his message, and there's a couple reasons why. Um, we only get two adjectives around the Ninevites, and that's exceedingly great. Exceedingly great. It's actually the same word in Hebrew that's used to describe Israel when uh, God is giving his promise to Abram. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Ninevites are like the new Israel or anything, but when that word is used, yes, it can mean a large area, which this is, but usually it also denotes some kind of importance to God. And I don't think that these words are in here on accident. The other reason is, if you look at the rest of Scripture, that's just not the character of God. If you look at 2 Peter 3, 9, we see that it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. So that includes the Ninevites. He wants all of us to reach that point. So why, then, does God leave a 120-mile wide city up to one man? Let's jump back in at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. God is able, is he not? Yeah, let's say that again. Just say it together. God is able. Yeah, here we go. Ready? God is able. Jonah's one man. And by the looks of it, he's not that great a preacher. We only get eight words from him, and it's, uh, 
Yeah, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's not really a great message. There's not, it's not like a really catchy introduction. Like, I don't, I don't see three application points. There's no joke to get the crowd on his side. Like, it's eight words. Now, did he say more than this? Eh, maybe, but this is all the Bible gives us. And these words are pretty condemning, and that should tell you something about the other words that he said. They may not have been printable, if you get what I'm saying. So, why does God use Jonah, of all people? Um, <laughs> I was in here the other day talking to uh, one of my friends, Josh Mudd. He's actually sitting over there in the back. Um, if you don't know him, he's one of those guys who always has basketball shorts on under his pants. Like, do you have basketball shorts on right now? Yeah, see? He's always ready to ball. And we were talking, so naturally we were talking about basketball. Um, and he said, you know, hey, we need to get some one-on-one going. Uh, and I was like, okay, sure. If you don't know me, I was the kid in middle school who played on the basketball team, and they would put me, they would put me in like for five minutes because every kid had to play. Like, and when I went in, my coach said, hey, when you get the ball, I want you to pass it to someone else. <laughs> Suffice it to say, I am not a basketball player. And so Josh is over here saying, you know, we got to do some one-on-one. It'll be a lot of fun, nice, you know, some nice healthy competition. I'm like, yeah, I can tell you how it's going to go. I get, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss the backboard entirely, and we're going to be done. Like, that's going to be the whole game. He, and he says, he says this to me, you know what, it's fine, I'll just put one hand behind my back, and, and I'll, I'll do it one-handed. And I was like, you know, that's nice, it's a nice sentiment. You think it's going to even, even the, the playing field? It probably won't. So why am I telling you this story? Well, because when we want to show someone our ability in something, we impose some kind of limit on ourselves. We make it seem like it's harder for us. And I think that God kind of likes to do this too. I mean, could God, God just like come over the top of Nineveh and split the sky open and just show them his glory and bring all of the city of Nineveh to repentance? Sure, absolutely he could. But that's not the way that he chooses to operate. God's, God choosing Jonah shows us that he is sovereign. He says, I am not hindered at all by this prophet who doesn't really want to do what I tell him to do and who honestly doesn't say it really in the character that I want him to say it in. He said, I'm not hindered at all. The people of Nineveh will believe God regardless of the people that I use. So it doesn't matter how imperfect you feel or how much of a screw-up you, what, how much of a screw-up you feel like. God can still use you He will never be hindered by you. Christian said last week, ignorant is never too ignorant. And you know, I want to say imperfect is never too imperfect. In fact, when we look at the more imperfect, it shows how much greater God is. Not not telling you to go and just like try and be as imperfect as possible. Let's make that very clear. 
So with eight lousy words from the mouth of a bitter prophet, we see that on the first day of the mission, by the way, this is the first day that he has gone into Nineveh. He went into Nineveh for one day. God changes the hearts of the Ninevites. And let's jump into verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So we've been saying the word repentance a lot tonight, and if there's any confusion surrounding that, I just want to clear it out. So repentance, very, very simply, is just turning back to God. We are all on this path that God has laid out for us, and we all drift from time to time. We get a little bit caught up in the things of the world. We get a little bit caught up with some certain people, or some situations change, like especially through transitions, and then eventually we have to take stock of our lives, and we realize, oh, I've, I've drifted. I'm, I'm like kind of over here. And repentance is taking that and just moving it back back into what you know that God has for you. Anyone who has been swimming in the ocean knows this a lot. Like, if you, if you go out into the ocean, and you're having a great time with all your friends, and, you know, you're, you're out there for a little bit, you're not really facing the shore, and, uh, you know, you're hopping the waves and stuff, and then all of a sudden a big one hits, and then your face is in the sand, and, like, you feel like you have blood, and, like, you just, you feel like you just met God. And then you get up, and you look back up to the shore, and, and then what's even worse is that you can't even see your chair. You don't even know where anything is. And then you realize, oh, my chair is all the way over there. And so what do we do? We walk up to shore, we walk back over. And a lot of times, things like that happen in our lives. When we face plant, we realize how far off of God's plan we really were. And so we have to pick ourselves up, walk to shore, and walk back to God. So, I think the Ninevites are doing this, and I want to give a couple of steps to repent in your own life, um, and I think that the Ninevites show us how to do this really well. Step one, believe God. What God says is true, and you can find his truth in all of Scripture. And it says, in verse five, the Ninevites believed, or the people of Nineveh believed God. And that's just, it's a short sentence, but it's a really powerful one. We also call this faith. Very simple faith. The truths that we need to know are first off, in Romans 3, 10 to 12, we, we see that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We know the truth that we are all imperfect. So when you're sitting alone, 
mourning over your sin, knowing that you're not going to live up to what God has for you, and that you're not alone in that. We all struggle with that. We are all trying to live up to an impossible standard. The only person that has set that standard is Jesus Christ, who lived that perfect life for us and died as a sacrifice for us so that we can live through him. Do you believe that tonight? Because that's the first step to repentance. If you don't truly believe that in your heart, you'll never find repentance, that you can never live up to what God wants you to be. But Jesus Christ has already done it for you. The second step of repentance is, I think it should come up on the screen, is letting faith lead to action. Have you ever wondered if your, if your faith was true? Like if, if your belief in God was really true? Like that you, you, you knew that you, mean, you meant what you believed? One way you can really check that, a really awesome barometer check, is to look at where you were six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. Are you growing and are you changing? Because there's a difference between being upset that you sin and truly being repentant of your sin. A true repentance is going to lead to a change in your behavior, a change in the way that you feel, and a change in your heart posture towards God. So if you're looking at your behaviors and you're saying, you know, I don't like this, I don't like that I'm doing this, the real place to look is inward at your heart. What are you believing about God that's not true? What are you believing about yourself that's not true? Because I can tell you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you are free from sin. Means that you don't have to do that thing that you're going to feel bad about the next day. And in the moment, it feels like you do. We can still put ourselves under the slavery of sin when we are saved. But the truth of Jesus is that we don't have to do that. So let's continue to look at how the Ninevites are living this out. So the word of the Lord reaches the king of Nineveh before Jonah even gets there. So if that tells you how, how well this preaching, this bad message, is really you know, taking, catching fire in all of Nineveh, it reaches the king, and as soon as he hears the whispers of this message, he sends the whole city into a citywide fast. Could you imagine if one of our politicians stood up today and was like, hey, um, no one's allowed to eat anymore. I think we upset God. I think a few people in, in this room might have some problems with that. I think I would probably have a problem with that. <laughs> but the king says, we're all going to fast. All of the people, all the animals, we're not going to eat anything. And why do they do this? Because they want to show that we are not sustained by these things. We are sustained by God. They put on sackcloth to show that we are not going to be, we, we, we are rejecting the comforts of this world because we want to be comforted by the creator or by this guy who's probably going to destroy our city if we don't do this. 
Um, and finally, they call out mightily to God. How often do we call out mightily to God when we are in the depths of our sin? When we feel like there's no way out? It can be a really powerful experience to know when you're in your bedroom alone on your knees, maybe in tears, God hears you. And God wants to forgive you. He wants to relent. We can see here the Ninevites are certainly imperfect, and we've talked a lot about how they are. But God still loves them. He doesn't want to destroy them. And in the face of imperfect people, God is merciful. So the stage is set here. We have a repentant people, all fasting, waiting on God to see what's going to happen. They know that destruction is imminent. Jonah wants to see what's going to happen. The people of Nineveh, the king, all want to know what God is going to do next. And in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I don't want you to miss the impact of that final verse. God, all-powerful, perfect, uncompromising, holy God, has just given the Ninevites a second chance. I think being in church for a while, it makes it easy to kind of overlook this, because God does this kind of thing a lot. Um, but God forgives those who demonstrate their faith through repentance, and this is a truth that we just shouldn't get over. Like, it should excite you every time you read something like that in Scripture. And it's easy, especially in the Old Testament, to think of God as this um, God of wrath and fire, and, and, and he does do that. He does destroy, and he does punish sin. But at his heart, he is merciful. That means that he has a habit of forgiving people. I would say a pretty good habit, because I've needed that mercy time and time again. So God uses Jonah to reach the Ninevites. Jonah's imperfect. The Ninevites are imperfect. But God uses imperfect people to reach imperfect people. We're all imperfect people. But that doesn't mean that we can look out at other imperfect people and say, you know, I think, they're, I think they're just too far gone from God's grace. We're in this room because we can go out to those other imperfect people and say, hey, I found my way out, and I want to show you. I have hope, and I have joy, and I have eternity, because I know this really awesome dude who gave his life for me, and I want you to know him too. In the same way, God uses imperfect people to teach imperfect people. I don't know if you've noticed this. We haven't learned, like, a whole lot from Jonah. And he's, like, the prophet. 
Like, they named the book after him. But, you know, when, we, when God wants to teach us how to pray through a storm, he doesn't use Jonah, he uses the mariners. When God wants to teach us how to receive the word in truth and in joy, he doesn't, he doesn't really use Jonah, he uses the Ninevites. When he wants to teach us, you know, how to demonstrate our faith in repentance, he doesn't do that through Jonah, he does that through the king of Nineveh. The Ninevites are imperfect, but God wants to use them to teach us so many things about how we can live our lives. God uses those imperfect people to teach imperfect people. Can we all just think for a second about the disaster that we were headed for before we knew Christ? It's not something that I spend a lot of time thinking about, and it's not something that really hits me, because like, I feel like I don't quite completely understand it. An eternity apart from God. Eternity apart from God. And the more and more I learn about God, the more I realize just how much of a hell that really is. But Christ came down, lived a perfect life for us so that we didn't have to endure that. So that when we screw up, we get a second chance if we're willing to take it, if we're willing to believe that what Christ paid is sufficient. And let him come and live within us and live for us. And he didn't do that because of anything that we did. It was given to us by grace because of our faith. And he didn't choose you because you were already perfect. He knew you were imperfect, and that's why he came and lived a perfect life. That's why he came and suffered the abuse that he suffered, suffered the death that he suffered, even death on a cross. So that we could be made righteous. Us, who are sitting in our bedrooms, wondering when we're going to be free from the sin, wondering when we're finally going to be taken home, For the past few minutes, if you've been sitting here thinking, yeah, I, I, I kind of know what this guy's talking about, but, um, like, I've been in church for a while, but that, like, that something's not connecting with me here. Or maybe this is your first time in this room. I don't, I don't think we have anyone here, but maybe this is. And you're just like, I, this, this whole Jesus thing seems like a lot. Um, I believe that God sees you in this moment. And right now, all he wants from you is for you to believe in him and to believe in his sufficiency. He wants you to turn to him, give your life to him so that he can relent, so that he can pull you away from that disaster that we were all headed towards. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are apart from the saving grace of God 
and you will spend an eternity in hell. I take no joy in saying that. You will be completely separated from him, from the fullness of joy, purpose, and purity that awaits you in his presence. So if you don't have that relationship with him, can I just challenge you here in this moment? There's nothing magical about the words I'm about to say, but just, Jesus, I need you in my life. I am a sinner. I know that I have not lived up to what you want me to be, but I need you to come into my life and change me. God, I give my life to you. It's just one simple step of obedience. Look, if you have any questions about a relationship with Christ, I'm going to be here afterwards. Um, you can also talk to Jeremiah or Nick or Trenton or any one of the other people in this room who know Christ. All of us want nothing more than for you to be in a really meaningful, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we close out tonight, I'm going to leave you with this. God doesn't save you because you're already perfect, and he loves you in your imperfection, and he wants to use you in that imperfection. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time that we've gotten to spend together as a body of Christ. God, I pray that you would just push us into whatever it is that you're calling us to do, and uh, that you would just give us the assurance that you are giving us that second chance tonight. God, I pray that our confidence in you and our confidence in Jesus's sufficiency would just help us to live out the lives that you're calling us to live, and God, to help us to live um, as holy and acceptable living sacrifices to you. God, I pray for anyone in this room who is questioning their own relationship with Christ or um, is just being, you know, moved by the Holy Spirit for the first time. Um, I pray that they would, you would just give them boldness tonight to, um, to talk to who they came with or, or to come up to speak to one of the leaders of Thrive um, and that they would just come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ tonight. God, I pray that as we go out from this place, that we would be just incredible images of Christ to the people around us. God, that we would go out from here as imperfect people, reaching imperfect people. God, you are good and you are holy, and I thank you so much for the time that we've gotten to spend together, tonight together. In Jesus' name, amen.